0: Hi everyone, my name is Kat and I have the pleasure of reading the Bible tonight. Tonight we're reading from Luke chapter 24 verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words.
1: right, evening folks, how are we? Glad that three of you are still here, that's helpful. Hey, uh, happy Easter, good evening to you. I hope you have had an excellent day uh, with family and friends, Uh, whatever you've been doing. I hope that today has been uh, a great day for you. A couple of things I've become obsessed with in this Easter season. Uh, The number one thing that I have uh, become obsessed with is Darryl Lee nougat eggs. Uh, I love a Daryl Lee nougat egg. However, I did discover something slightly disturbing about Daryl Lee nougat eggs this morning. That is, I usually eat them in three bites, uh, but according to the nutrition information on the back, there are six servings (laughs) inside one of these little puppies. And uh, look, I won't tell you how many I've eaten already this Easter or how many I've got left, Uh, some stew people might know the answer to that question, Uh, but... So some weird reason my clothes are mysteriously shrinking. So if you could help me with that later, that'd be helpful too. Second thing that I've become slightly obsessed with over this Easter period as well uh, is Hamilton. And what I can tell you about Hamilton is that we are going to see Hamilton on Thursday night. Now there is a scene towards the end of the musical that I find absolutely arresting. And it is a scene where you find Alexander Hamilton and his wife Eliza standing together right next to each other. And they are in the dark. The picture is them in a garden. They are right there together, but individually they are entirely alone. There is profound brokenness that is played out between the two of them. There is grief. There is just human struggle and humanity in all its tragedy is playing out in this scene as they grieve over two deaths. There is the death of their son but also the death of their marriage. And in that very moment the audience is called to draw near and to peer in and to see exactly what is happening on stage. And the music swells and you hear that we're told that they are on an unimaginable journey. And you start to have questions in your mind. Is there any way that this brokenness that exists between the two of them can be resolved? Is there a pathway here at all uh, towards reconciliation? Is there any chance that there could be any form of forgiveness that could take place? Uh, between the two of them there on stage. And with all of those questions swirling in the air, uh, the music gathers around them in majestic tragedy, pausing at regular intervals, as if to ensure that you understand just how unimaginably profound the depth of the brokenness that you're seeing there between these two people actually is. And then come these words. I'm not going to sing them in case you (laughs) worry. There are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace that is too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand, we push away the unimaginable. They are standing in the garden. Alexander by Eliza's side. And she takes his hand. It's quiet uptown. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? And in that very moment, we find a parallel with the Easter story. A story of vastly more importance and of vastly more significance than the story of Hamilton. A story that carries eternal significance for you and for me. Eternal significance for your family who perhaps aren't with you here this evening. Eternal significance for neighbours and friends, for work colleagues, school friends, uni friends, whoever it is, for the world... The story of Easter is a story of unimaginably profound brokenness. And that same brokenness that characterizes Eliza and Alexander is paralleled in the relationship between God and humanity. And the Bible makes it very clear that there is no beautiful thing in humanity such that God would want to reach out and grasp after us. There is no good purpose or no want in God that he would like to have satisfied that he might reach out to us and grasp after us. But we humans who have betrayed him and rejected him in this world, we humans who've despised and misused much of what he has given us as good gifts in the world. But friends, that is exactly what God does. The Bible makes it very clear there is nothing in our hands that we can bring to convince God to reach out to us. But despite all of this, God does reach out to us in Christ such that he wishes to restore our relationship with him despite the profound depth of brokenness. In his hand comes forgiveness. And that is the Easter story. On Friday, we descended into darkness. We saw Jesus on a cross, bearing every sin of mine and every sin of yours on his shoulders and in his body. We saw Jesus taking on himself every way that we have mucked up, every way that we have caused grief or offence, every way that we have offended each other and offended God through our lives, both consciously and unconsciously, and we saw Jesus die under the judgment of God instead of you and instead of me. We saw Jesus walk into the world as God's hand extended to us, and he was put to death. But that's not the end of the story, because today we rejoice in the light of life, because Jesus didn't stay dead. Indeed, there was an empty tomb. God did not leave him dead, but raised him up to proclaim to the world that the justice and wrath of God had been satisfied in his death and that we had been made clean, that our sin had been taken away, that now in God's sight through Christ, and because Christ died with my sin on his shoulders and your sin on his shoulders, that now we are just as if we had never sinned and that God raised him up and appointed him as king. So that all who will trust in him, all who will turn to him, will live forever. And that's what makes today a great day. Hallelujah! It's unbelievable that you get to this moment on a Sunday night and you think there can be nothing better than this day. And what we remember on this day. And yet as we rejoice in that, it's that very thing that makes this day A tragic day. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead makes today a tragic day. Because a lot of people think that we are just wasting our time here this evening. A lot of people believe that the whole Jesus thing is just a futile waste of time and energy and money that could profitably be spent elsewhere. Perhaps you're one such person and you're here tonight hoping that this talk is going to finish really soon. I have some bad news for you but that's okay. What I do want to say tonight that if that is you or you know someone like that there's there's nothing new in this. Don't get tricked into thinking that denying Jesus and the resurrection is some sophisticated 21st century philosophical idea that only mature intellectual people like us have been able to grasp onto. Friends, people have been denying the reality of Jesus' life and death and resurrection from the very moment that it happened. Indeed, I'm sure that you've heard the various theories used to explain away the empty tomb, such as the swoon theory or the stolen body theory. The swoon theory is the idea that somehow Jesus, even though blood poured out of his side, managed to revive himself, move a stone and run off, defeating a couple of Roman soldiers on the way. Uh, The stolen body theory is as it sounds. Someone came along and stole the body. Uh, The reality of all of these different ideas is that these theories are actually laughed at today by serious scholars. Uh, No one actually believes these things anymore. Uh, Let me give you a brief explanation of the stolen body theory theory and why it just can't be right just stop and consider for a moment uh, what motivation would the jews or the romans have had to actually steal Jesus' body remember what they were trying to do is actually to suppress christian thinking to suppress jesus following to get rid of Jesus' followers they didn't want to encourage it with an empty tomb or in any other way and surely when, if they had stolen the body, when they saw that more and more people started following Jesus and the whole Jesus thing actually became bigger and bigger after he had died, if they had stolen the body, all they had to do was produce the body and go, ha ha, still dead, and it'd be over. But they couldn't do that because there's no body to produce because Jesus had risen again. The disciples too had no motive for grave theft as a result of their belief in and teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were beaten and killed and persecuted. Why would they go through all of that for a lie? You see, no serious scholars these days hold to any of these sort of theories. Indeed, William Lane Craig, a famous apologist, writes that those who deny the resurrection are self-confessedly without any explanation to offer. There's simply no plausible, natural explanation today to account for Jesus' tomb being empty. And if we deny the resurrection of Jesus, we are left with an inexplicable mystery. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just the best explanation for the empty tomb. It's the only explanation for it. Now, it's all well and good to counter all the negative arguments, but is it possible to establish the positive argument that Jesus really was alive? Well, there are several truths that are relied on by Christian people to actually hold on to that truth. And the one that I want us to just focus in on this evening is this. It is that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. And we're going to see that from Luke chapter 24. So uh, let's dig into Luke chapter 24 together. Luke is a book uh, written, a biography of Jesus, uh, written by someone who was a contemporary of those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. He corralled a whole lot of evidence and eyewitness accounts and put them all together in an orderly fashion so that people could read the truth of what actually happened to Jesus when he walked upon the earth. He was a medical doctor of the day. You can only imagine what that would have been like. But he was a smart man. And he put all of this together. And he begins the account of Jesus' resurrection like this in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared And went to the tomb. So the historical account begins by focusing on a group of women, and not just any group of women. Uh, We're told in verse 10 that this group of women consists of Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and a whole lot of others who were with them. So here is a group of women who had spent time with Jesus. Here's a group of women who had listened to Jesus. Here's a group of women who knew what Jesus was about and what Jesus had said. In fact, in Luke chapter 23, we're told that this group of women also watched Jesus die. They watched his listless body taken down from the cross and taken away. They were inside Jesus' inner ring. And they should have known, if they'd listened carefully, just what would actually happen on this Easter Sunday morning. But we find them here, heading to the tomb to anoint his body with oil and spices, following a long-standing Jewish ritual that you would go and show reverence to a dead body by anointing it in a variety of different ways, but also aiding the dispersing of odours as the body decomposed. So they're expecting to go and find a dead Jesus. But look what happens in verse 2. Now They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They expect to find a dead Jesus. Instead, they find the stone rolled away. They expect to find the body of Jesus. Instead, they find nothing. And immediately, they're in a state of confusion. And verse 4 tells us that they started to wonder about this. Indeed, they're perplexed or confused or disturbed by it. They're expecting one thing, they found another thing, and the situation becomes increasingly perplexing for them. Verse 4, while they were there wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And they did the only thing that any rational person would do at that point in time. They fall down on their face and freak out a little bit. And then the men have something to say to them in verse 5. They say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So they're called to remember. They're called to remember what Jesus had said to them. They're called to remember what Jesus had said he would do. They're challenged, why do you look for the living among the dead, given all that your master said? And when they hear those words, verse 8 tells us that they did remember. They remembered what Jesus said, and then they knew what had happened. And they head off to report it to other people. And they are certain. Well, what about you? We weren't there, but can we be certain of these things? Well, three more things that I think go significantly into this story. The first one is that Jesus' tomb was never venerated as a shrine. You know, in this day and age, when someone significant, a holy person or a rabbi or someone else significant died, people would set up a big shrine at that person's tomb. And in Jesus' day, there is evidence of at least 50 such sites. But... It's never mentioned and there's no evidence that there ever was such a shrine for Jesus which suggests that his bones were never there and his death was never venerated because he rose. Uh, Secondly, uh, it's important for us to note that the tomb was discovered empty by women. Uh, Why is that important? Well, because the testimony of women in the first century amongst uh, Jewish culture was considered worthless. Uh, Indeed, one scholar says... If the empty tomb story were a legend or a fake or a myth, then it's most likely that male disciples would have been made the first to discover the empty tomb. And the fact that despised women whose testimony was deemed worthless were the chief witnesses to the fact of the empty tomb can only be plausibly explained if, like it or not, women actually did discover the empty tomb. And then thirdly, and I think one of the most intriguing stories for me is what happens when the Roman guards and the Jewish leaders discover that Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, This from Matthew chapter 28 from verse 11. Uh, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Do you notice the irony there? They don't deny the resurrection. They just try to cover it up. Why cover something up if it never happened in the first place? So now, why have we been exploring all this and why spend time considering the evidence for Jesus' resurrection? Well, it's simply this. If Jesus did really rise from the dead, if there was a man who really died, If there was a man who was really dead and dead dead, if there was a man who claimed to be God and who came from God, who actually walked on the earth but then who stopped breathing, whose heart stopped pumping, whose body was laid in a tomb, and if that man who lived once and then died actually lived again, then that is not something that you can be ho-hum about. That's not something that you can just sort of ignore and worry about at another time. But rather, uh, that is something that is worth paying attention to. Indeed, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is something worth paying attention to. Because despite 2,000 years of our best efforts, humanity has not even got close to resurrecting someone from the dead. That's something that only God can do. And if that happened, then it is something that God did do. And on the basis of the evidence, you can only say that it happened. And it's on the basis of this and other evidence that an agnostic rationalist commentator like Andrew Bolt, and I won't... Comment on Andrew Bolt. I know he can be a divisive figure among people. If you've never heard of him, leave it that way. It'll be better for you. Uh, But on the basis of evidence of Jesus Christ, he's gone on video this week, an agnostic rationalist, and he's actually testified to the amazement, to to his amazement, that the resurrection has intellectual merit, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Uh, Similarly, uh, C.S. Lewis Despite being a full-blown cynic and an atheist, full of antagonism for Christians and Christianity, after examining the evidence, he changed his mind. After examining the basis and claim for claims of Christianity, C.S. Lewis concluded that in other religions there was no valid historic claim as there was in Christianity. And his knowledge of literature forced him to treat the accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection as trustworthy. And since 30 AD, wise, rational people have been changing their minds and coming to the belief that indeed Jesus did rise from the dead. And many such people are with us here tonight. There are many reasons why people come to that conclusion. Just one that we've examined tonight. For for some, though, it's the eyewitness testimony to the resurrection that convinces them of the truth. For some, it is the fact that Jesus appeared to his mother and his brothers, to his disciples, to hundreds of others, and even to enemies that demonstrate that the resurrection is historical fact. For some, it's the sheer number of people that Jesus appeared to. More than 500 people, we're told in various places at various times over a couple of weeks. For some, it's the faith of the disciples and the fact that they kept testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead time after time, even unto the point of death. For some people, it's the life-changing impact of the resurrection and the impact that it's had on people in the first century and in every century after that. For some people, uh, it is the testimony to the resurrection outside the Bible that convinces them that the resurrection must be true. For many, it's the weight of all of that. And then seeing that it is the resurrection that helps you make sense of life itself. Indeed, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives you the answer to the ultimate questions of why you are here and what you're supposed to be doing with your life. The resurrection says you are here because the resurrected king loves you. And what you're meant to be doing with your life is orienting everything around him. So where are you at with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And if you're not yet over the line, what might it take you to be convinced That the resurrection actually happened. Now, I think it's really important to note that there is a place for doubt in the resurrection story. And we actually find it in Luke chapter twenty four. Because as the women go and report to the other disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead, that the tomb is empty, that He is He is not there and He has risen, what's really interesting is that the disciples don't go, Woo, excellent, let's move on now and start preaching. No. In fact the disciples doubt. That they have a moment where they're like, ah, this sounds dodgy. Look at me from verse 9 in, in Luke chapter 24. When the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things about the resurrection of Jesus to the 11 remaining disciples and to everyone else who was with them. That was a collection of women there, verse 10 and then verse 11. But the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got to love Peter, right? He's always the one who gets up. And bails off to go and work stuff out for himself. Love him anyway. Peter. He gets up. He ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself just what had happened. Do you like that? They, uh, hear the evidence. I think that sounds like a nonsense. I've got to get some more information. I've got to keep thinking about it. I've got to gather more evidence to see exactly what's going on. That's just what Peter does. He sees the tomb and then sometime later he actually gets to meet Jesus. At that point he is convinced. Jesus is alive and he believes. So what about you? Are you ready to believe and invest your life? with God, continue to invest your life in God, remain following after orienting your whole life around Jesus, or are you not quite there yet? It's okay to be in that place, to be not quite there yet. But it's not okay just to stay there and do nothing. Because the evidence points to the fact that Jesus really rose. And if Jesus really rose, that matters. The message of Easter is, come to Jesus and you will live forever. This is the promise of God. And it's based on the historical fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus and you will live forever. That is the Easter offer of God to you today. Now, if you're not yet convinced, we would love to enter into a conversation with you about this. Uh, Our course called Christianity Explored is a chance for you to do that. Uh, For those of you who are watching on the live stream tonight or at some other time, we want you to keep watching through to the end of tonight, and you're going to to hear someone's story and to hear how you can connect with us so we can help you keep walking through the evidence. Uh, For those who are here with us in the building tonight, perhaps you've been brought by a friend or a family member. Uh, The good news is we're about to finish. The better news is we want to keep walking with you. We want to talk with you. We want to help you continue to explore and think just like Peter did. And so we have a course, Christianity Explore, that we would love you to come to. And the best way for you to get involved in that is tell someone who brought you or tell someone sitting near you, hey, I want to get involved in that course because I want to keep considering the evidence. And if you've brought a friend tonight, why don't you say to them, hey, would you like to come and keep considering the evidence? Because we love helping people see the world the right way up. And finding a life that makes sense by trusting in Jesus is our priority for you. So as we finish today, today is not only a great day to eat at least six serves of chocolate. Or 12. Or 18. (laughs) But today is a great day to recognise that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And to give thanks to God for the significance of that. If you trust that already, to keep clinging on to Jesus... And don't let go. The evidence says this really happened. And we are in the right boat, heading in the right direction towards eternity. But if you're not there yet, keep exploring and keep thinking. Because I testify to the fact that I rejoice in Jesus' victory. And this Easter, I hope you do too. Happy Easter, have a great evening, and amen.